Once again, I'd like to welcome everyone here to the Faith Reformed Baptist Church Worship Hour. It is a privilege to be a Christian. It is a blessing. And there are times in which Christians will need comfort by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has promised to do this. God has sent him, that is our Christ has sent him, he is the comforter. And it is my prayer this morning that the Holy Spirit come to you and open our eyes, help us to understand the great blessings that are in this book. We have just read that it is a blessing to read and a blessing to hear this particular book. I want to tell you what I want to achieve today. The doctrine is this. There are seven apocalyptic visions in this book, in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And they are, for the most part, depicting the same period of time. They're depicting a period of time from the time of Christ to the end, to where we have the second advent, where we have the second, shall we say, the great judgment, and then the new heavens and new earth. Now, this is something that we should take a look at carefully, because it'll guide how this is going to be understood. Last week, I'm going to give you just a 30-second review of where we, what we did. I'm not going to go into all the details. But last week, we came to the conclusion that Christ is ruling his kingdom exactly the way he planned to rule it. Yes. He is ruling his kingdom exactly the way he desires mm -hmm. to rule it. Mm -hmm. I'm, having a, I'm going to give you some brief observations, and then we will go into what the seven visions are. We're going to do a flyover. It's going to be a bird's-eye view of all seven visions today. And you say, well, this is quite an ambitious task. All right. You've heard this morning during the hour that you're not allowed to look at your watches. Just, you know, just bear with me on this, all right? This will be okay. But the observations will be taken mostly from verses 9 through 12. And then from there, I'm going to leap into what the visions are. So if you have your scriptures, and I'm reading from the ESV, I'll read from verses 9 to 12. And I'm only going to read part of... 12. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see. Okay? Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. It reminds me of the way it's phrased in the book of Genesis where the voice of the Lord went walking in the garden. It reminds me of that because there will be a time at the very end of the book of Revelation where paradise is restored and the Lord will freely walk among his people. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw. I'm going to stop right there. Now, we'll get into what he saw, but the idea here is that he's going to write what he sees. And many times in this book, we will have the idea that this angel who is accompanying him will also guide him sometimes. And he'll have the idea that uh, you should not worship me because sometimes... The Apostle John will bend, bow down to him and he'll say, you should not do this. Bow to the one whom you see sitting on the throne, not to me. But what we are looking at right here now is that John will hear some things 
and then he'll see some things. And I'm just going to give you one example. He'll hear someone say in the second vision, Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah. And then he looked and he turned and he saw a lamb. Do you see? He hears one thing, he sees another thing. There'll be another time in which he'll say, I heard that there were 12 tribes, all listed, 144. And when he turned to see, he saw an, a numberless multitude praising God. Here's one thing, sees another thing. So, I want you to know that these visions are in between what God has said, I am the first, I am the last, I am the Alpha, I am Omega. And then John says, I see. And then at the end, he stops seeing these things. And at the very last chapter, chapter 22, verses 6 through 8, let me just read it to you. And he said to me, now the person is talking to him is that angel that I mentioned, the one who is his guide. He said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord God of the spirits and the prophets has sent his angel, that's him, to show to his servants what must soon take place. And then the words of Christ are echoed again. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then verse 8 of chapter 22. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And that's where the revelations end. And then there is a, a closing to that chapter. And so there are seven sections that have separate apocalyptic visions in this book. Now they do go from one all the way. They just they extend the whole middle of the book, sandwiched in between the idea that he is the first and the last. But what makes the separation easy to see is at the end of every one of them, with the exception of the very first vision, six of the visions end in judgment. God coming back, judging the world. That's where you say, wow, that went all the way from the time that Christ came the first time all the way to the time that he came the second time. So, that'll be the delineation of what these visions are all about. Now, in your bulletin, you should have a handout, and they will show you and I, and I just took the names from the guy that, that wrote a book. His, his name is at the top of that paper, Kistemacher. And he gave certain names to it. I changed. I may have changed the names, but the ideas are still there. And the sections of Scripture are delineated there. You may want to take some notes in that area if you wish. Because what is about to happen is uh, what I call in the business where I work a data dump. Okay, I'm going to give you a lot of information. So... Instead of sipping from a straw, you'll be having, you'll probably have a fire hose today. So just be ready and don't panic about it. Okay, it's not waterboarding. It'll be something that will be a blessing to you, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And so, in the very first vision, we're looking at the church that is on the earth. We're looking at the church where Christ himself is walking among the candlesticks. And these are not spiritualized where they're just fictitious. No, these are real congregations in Asia Minor. And... Christ is described in this first vision. This very first vision is really the church on earth, but, but John turns and he sees not only the seven golden candlesticks, which the Lord will say at the very end of this chapter, these are these churches, but he is walking among them. And there is a grand description of Christ. And so this vision has two sections, the description of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and then the seven churches that he, that Christ is going to tell John what to write in, in the letters that go to them. And you should be aware of this, that every letter that goes to a church, every church is able to read all the letters. But there is a specified message that Christ is saying, to this church I am saying this. Now, we'll be, we'll be looking at that individually when we get to that point in this series of messages. But I would like to say that there is something interesting at the beginning of every letter to each church. And I want to point that out to you. In the description of Christ, we'll go to the description first. And then I want to point out what the description has to do with the letters that are being sent. Christ, in, his, in the description, says that he was walking among seven golden lampstands. Now, at the very end, the Lord himself says, well, let me tell you the mystery of that. And, of course, when he says it's a mystery, it really means this is something that must be interpreted, and therefore, let me tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. The seven golden lampstands are the churches, and the stars are the pastors, or the angels of those churches. He was clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. I would imagine <coughs> he looks very much like a priest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Very much like someone that would be associated with old age or with wisdom. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Very much like the idea that nothing can get by him. He sees everything. Mm -hmm. His feet were burnished or gleaming bronze and refined in a furnace. No one can say, where are you going and where have you been? He goes where he wants. And when he does, it does he does so in holiness. Mm -hmm. And he does so walking among his churches. His voice was like the roar of many waters. It has great authority, and it will be heard by his people. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth he came a sharp two-edged sword. Now, we have had these words in our, you know, preached to us from the book of, of Hebrews, where the word of God itself is a two-edged sword. And so from the words, or from the lips of Christ, we have a sharp two-edged sword coming out. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, I don't know if you have ever looked at the sun shining in its full strength. But it is difficult to see, isn't it? But in this case, it is. John is able to look at his face and not only see his face, but see the sword, to see his hair, to see all the details. But still at the very same time, it's like looking at the sun in full strength. And he says several things. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last. He says, I am the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hate. Every one of these phrases and every one of these descriptions you're going to find later on in the other visions. And now I'm going to read the very first beginning of each letter because it works like this. To the church at Ephesus, it begins like this. The words of, it doesn't say Jesus Christ, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden candlesticks. That's how he identifies himself to the Ephesians. Now, why would he do that? Evidently, they need to know that. They need to know that the one who is about to talk to them is the one who is doing this. They need to know that. In Smyrna, he says, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. They need to know that. To Pergamum. The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. To the letter given to the church in Thyatira. The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. 
They need to hear that. They need to hear that the rebuke or the commendation that they receive is from that one who sees and can walk among them in this way. Sardis, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. They need to know that they are in his hand. Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open. They need to know that. That will be a blessing to them. And Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And who would not want to hear that, especially if you are lukewarm in your love to Christ? And so that is the very first vision. This vision is designed to say, this is where we are now. Christ is walking among his church. At this time, we'll go on to the next vision. This vision will begin in its entirety from the time that Christ came into the world to the great judgment. It goes from chapter one, verse, I mean chapter four, verse one, to chapter eight and the first verse. And that section is this particular vision. It's been entitled by many, God's Throne and the Seven Seals. And you've probably heard about this, the seven seals that are on the scroll and the throne of God. And so there are two sections to this particular vision. Number one, John will see the throne of the Almighty. Now what we have to know about this throne is this. You know, when I envision in my mind, I, I think of a throne uh, in, a, in, a, in a courtyard where a king would sit, and he has his throne up against the wall, perhaps, and all the people sit in front of him. But that's not what this throne room is like. Everything is around the throne. The throne is the center of all the activity. We, I'll, I'll get into the details later when we get to this vision, but we have to understand that this is a visual. We have to see that God is in the center of it. His throne and authority, everything surrounds him. It's not about us, it's about him. We are not in the center of these things. And a scroll is given to this God who sits on this throne. And the throne, that is, the scroll has been sealed. Now, if you don't know what a seal is, I'm going to have another separate sermon about it. But just, you know, just remember this. A seal is something that is pressed onto a document. And it can be a seal that seals it, or that actually closes it up and it can't be opened unless someone has the authority to do so. But it can also reflect that there is authority behind it. Anyone, it's like um, we have a, if a person wanted to start a business and say, I want to start a corporation, and the state gives you the authority to be a corporate body, well, then they'll put the state of the seal of Florida on it. They'll even crimp it. It'll have a little raised seal on it. And then they'll put some kind of powder and stuff so you can see it. That is something that's always been. And we'll get into that when we talk about that later as far as what seals are going. But what is implied in this, in this vision is that no one can open it unless they have uh, a worthiness, unless they are able by authority to do so. And John starts crying. He starts weeping that no one can open it. But there is one who can open it, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we go through the first seal all the way to the last seal. You've all probably have heard that there are four horses of the apocalypse, right? Well, this is coming in right now. When the Lord Jesus breaks open the very first seal, there is uh, uh, the appearance of a white horse, and one who is on that horse is going about to conquer. When the second seal is opened up, 
a red horse appears. And the rider upon this horse is going to conquer and take peace from the world, like war. When the third horse appears, it's black, and its rider has a balance in his hands, which implies that there's going to be economic calamity and famine. And the fourth seal is a pale horse, which ends in death. Death is the one, is the rider upon this horse. Now, every time one of these seals is broken, I just want to say this. Christ has the authority to make this happen. Not everyone can do this. Only Christ can do it. Only God in Christ can do this. Now, the fifth seal is very interesting because, you see, the first four seals were introduced by four beasts that were around the throne. And we'll get into that as it were, you know, when the time comes. But every one of these beasts will say, come and take a look at this. And then they see one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse come. But in the fifth seal, we see something completely different. Because it looks like the first four horses are saying, there's going to be those that want to rule this world. There's going to be those who want to conquer this world. And what will be the result of that? There will be war and famine and then death. And we must say, well, when is that going to happen? All you got to do is open up any history book and you'll see it. It is a common day in the life of the human race. That's what things, that's the way things have happened. But when the fifth seal is open, we see all the martyrs that die for Christ under the altar. And why are they under the altar? Because that's where the blood goes when things are sacrificed on the altar. All the blood of all those who follow Christ. And they have a cry and they cry out. Just like the blood of Abel cries out from the ground, the blood of all the martyrs cry out. And you know what they say? How long are we going to have to wait until we are avenged? And the very next seal is the answer. It is the sixth seal breaks open and we have earthquakes and darkness. And it is the day of wrath. It is the judgment day. In other words, we are going to be martyred for the sake of Christ until he comes back. That's the answer. That's what goes on. That's, and God has the authority to do this. And we may say, well, why would he do that? Well, just read on and you'll see. The seventh seal that ends this particular vision is silence. Silence. We go on to the next vision because I don't have time to spend on that. Okay, there's a lot that can be said about it, but we'll get there. The third vision has to do with seven trumpets. Now, this begins at the time of Christ and goes to the great judgment of God. The scene is that there are seven angels with trumpets. Now, when you think of a trumpet, I want you to think of announcing or a warning. When I was in the army, they didn't have a real trumpet player, but they did have a recording of one. In the morning, they would blow reveille. In the evening, they would blow taps. There's also a charge for uh, in, in battle of, of old days when, when, the, uh, when they didn't have communications through radio and, and communications of this type, they would have a trumpet blow saying to charge or to retreat. It is a way of, of sending a message. It is a way of communicating. And so what we have here are angels communicating this. On the first trumpet, when it blows, in other words, there may be a message that sends Watch out for this. This is a warning, or here it comes. Be ready. There's hail and fire and blood rains down from heaven. You say, well, when is that going to happen? Remember, this is what John sees. 
when you read through this, I also want you to think about the plagues of Egypt, of what happened, and what can be learned from this. The second trumpet, the seas and the waters turned to blood. The seas and the waters turned to blood. Now later on, this angel that's accompanying John and giving him kind of being his tour guide through these visions will say, oh, by the way, the seas are tongues and languages and groups and nations and people. Okay? And many times waters have to do with the water of the word or the, or the communication and so on. And so we'll get to the time when we want to spend uh, maybe making our, I'm going to say it, guesses at it. Okay? But, you know, when we say guesses, I think that these are guesses built upon how were these visions and images, you know, looked at in other parts of the scripture. The third trumpet, all the waters become poisoned. The fourth trumpet, darkness is upon the face of the earth. Now, pretty soon we'll be looking at bowls and plagues. But I want you to remember these and compare them to that. There are then three woes announced. But don't be concerned about these three woes because these three woes are only the next three trumpets. The next three trumpets. The fifth trumpet has a release of demonic forces and all types of uh, hideous creatures like locusts and so on. The sixth trumpet. The judgments that are approved by God that come from the hand of men and the devil himself will be on all of men and yet they will refuse to repent. That's the idea. All of these trumpets are going to be trumpeted or they're going to be announced or if I would dare say will be preached from every gospel preaching pulpit in this world and in any age. When the preacher comes to preach, he usually says, the world is living in darkness and only the blood of Jesus Christ will save you. And yet they repulse at that. Sometimes people say, well, surely there must be genuine, I'm waiting for the sound of a trumpet. Well, listen and you might hear one because these things are being trumpeted to you as we speak. On the seventh trumpet, we see a grand song being sung by all of God's people. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And at that point, the ark of the covenant in heaven is revealed. You know what that is? That's the end of time. We start with the first trumpet, we end with the last trumpet, and it is the end of time. In the fourth vision, we have special aspects of warfare and salvation. This goes from chapter 12, 1 to chapter 14 and 20. Remember I said this is like a data dump. Don't get overwhelmed. Just try to get this in the big picture. In this aspect of warfare and salvation, John sees a vision. He sees a vision of a woman and a dragon. Now this woman is pregnant, giving birth, and the dragon is waiting for this child to be born. Well, it doesn't take a genius or a rocket scientist to know what that is, is it? It must be the Lord Jesus Christ coming. It starts with the birth of Christ and goes to the end of time. And there is war between Christ and the church and Satan. Christ and his people and Satan. There is war. It doesn't take a genius to know that. There is a war. Now, the vision continues where a beast rises up out of the sea. But then another vision where there's a beast rises up out of the land. We have two different beasts coming from two different places. 
And later on, I believe that you'll be able to put this together when we have different or more information to add to this. But if the seas are the lands and the nations and the, you know, and the people groups and so on, what we have is very similar to what we read in Daniel, where these beasts are kingdoms and rulers and nations that rise up and have power over peoples. The beast of the land is a little bit different. This beast will speak like a lamb, like it's a false religion. And so we have powers of government, and then we have powers of false religion. Sometimes these are at odds with each other. Sometimes they collaborate with each other. Sometimes Babylon the Great or the Great Horde will sit on the beast and rule. We have these different type of images. But in this, we have another progression where the lamb is seen, and then what John notices about the lamb is not the lamb himself, that all of the redeemed follow the lamb wherever he goes. And so do you see the vision? Rising up out of the sea, a beast, nations, powers, authorities, a beast rising up out of the land, pretending to be the, 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 you know, a, a new religion or the religion of the true God, but they're not. And what does he see? He sees a lamb going between them all. And what does the redeemed do? They're not under the authority of religions. They're not under the authority of these oppressive powers. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. And what is that? How long does that last? Until judgment. Because the last thing he sees in this is God's judgment. How do I know it's judgment? Because angels are sent to reap the world. The grain is harvested out. The angel goes in with what one sweep of his, of his sickle, takes all the grain out, puts it into the garner. Another angel comes, takes all the grapes, and puts them into a wine press where they receive the wrath of God, where their life is pressed out of them, and the blood rises to the horse's bridle. You can see that this is the last day of judgment. That's the fourth vision. Vision number five. This is called the bowls of judgment. Now, the setting is this. The setting are, we're looking at the saints singing in the temple. And in this temple are seven angels, and these angels have already been given plagues. But in addition to these plagues, another angel hands out bowls to them. And they are to take these bowls, put the plagues into the bowls, and then pour it out on the people, as they are uh, told to do. And so we have a temple with angels and plagues to deliver to the people of the world. The seven bowls are like this. And please, if you want additional reading, which you will get extra credit for if you do this, <coughs> read Exodus about the plagues that were heaped upon Egypt and the reactions of Pharaoh and what the interchange was there between Moses. All these plagues, very enlightening. The first bowl, it resulted in sores on those with, who had the mark of the beast. So if they had a mark of the beast, they received sores. The second bowl is that the sea turned into blood. The third bowl, springs of water that could be used for drinking, turned to blood. The fourth bowl, the sun scorches so much that it scorches the people. Now remember, these are, these are for those who have the mark of the beast. Isn't it interesting that if the sun truly scorched the earth, 
does that mean that only the saved have air conditioning? We need to use our, our minds in this, doesn't it? Okay? The fifth bowl, darkness, was on the kingdom of the beast. Not on the kingdom of Christ. Darkness was on the kingdom of the beast. And the sixth bowl, Euphrates dry up, preparing the way for Armageddon. And you may say, well, now I recognize something. Euphrates River, everyone knows that one. I even know where it's at. It's over in the far, you know, in the far east. And we can just wait for that to dry up and then we know it's going to happen. Really? Well, this is an interesting idea that we should do because what I see here is an obstacle to the forces of evil in warring against Christ. And that obstacle was removed. That's what I see. It's just, it's just what I see. The seventh bowl is an angel announcing these words. It is done. It is done. The day of judgment is here. The mountains flee away. The sky is rolled up. Everything is gone. And everyone stands and, and, and the people cry out, fall on us. You know, the mountains. This is the day of judgment. That's the fifth vision. This goes into the next vision. A vision that goes from 17, chapter 17, verse 1 to 19:21. It is a vision of Christ having victory over all that opposes him. Now, this is a vision that begins from the very beginning. Remember, John said, the Antichrist, there's already the spirit of Antichrist here. We don't have to wait for some type of event to happen in history because there's going to be a vision of a woman uh, called a prostitute, the great whore, sitting upon a beast. There will be false religions throughout this time. It is now a time after all the powers that be where the false, uh, where Babylon even, you know, you know, there's another vision here, you know, Babylon the Great, and there's a lot to say about that. But this harlot that should be a religion that worships God instead, she has a relationship with the powers of the world and she rules over that, sitting upon this beast. And then that vision switches over to God's people looking forward to having their own wedding with their Christ who's coming back for them, the wedding of the Lamb. And so we have a vision of the beast with the prostitute on it, but God's people saying, we are not like the prostitute. We are like the bride waiting for my husband to come back. Then at that point, there is the final decisive battle. Christ comes back on a horse with his name on his thigh, and his name is the word of God, the rider and his armies. He comes back with his with the ones that are with him, you know, with the ones who had died. The final battle is against Antichrist, and Christ conquers all. How do I know this is the end of time? Because the beast and the false prophet and all that have the mark of the beast are thrown into the lake of fire at this time, after the end of this vision. Now, there's one more vision that we want to look at. It begins with chapter 20, verse 1, and goes to chapter 22, verse 5. And this also begins at the beginning of Christ's first advent and goes to the end. It's just that most of the words that are 
or most of the things that are seen in this image have to do with the new heaven and new earth. But it begins this way. It begins with the defeat of Satan and death and the binding of Satan. Do you remember Christ said during his ministry, I saw Satan fall from heaven. That's what the Lord said. There is a binding of Satan during this time. And people, I, I remember having a discussion with someone saying, well, I don't believe that the, that the devil is bound. I mean, look at this world. He's just really active. Well, I want you to think about the time when Job was in this world and God said to Satan, because Satan came to, to, to the Lord for a purpose, and then the Lord said to, to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said this, look, there is a hedge around him. I cannot get to him. And then he says, if you'll let me, Adam, I will do this. He'll do this. He'll curse you to your face. And so you see that Satan is always bound. The question is, how bound is he? What, is the, what, is, what are the boundaries of his limitations? When the gospel became clear, when Christ died for our sins, the Apostle Paul said that the mystery of the ages, the things that angels desired to look into, was wide open. And we became aware of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the preaching of that gospel put a limit on Satan that is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. From this, from the binding of Satan, from the time that Christ died and his gospel would made clear, there is Christ who is conquering the hearts of men. And this will go and continue until the judgment day. On that day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth brought down <clears throat> and God will be with his people forever the holy city will be called the bride the lamb of God come down and she will be adorned with many precious things now in the vision she's adorned with things like gold and emeralds and jewels but what does you know what does the scripture tell us that you know our women should not be adorned with these things but with a meek and quiet spirit so perhaps we should learn what we already know from the scriptures to apply to this and say, what are the jewels that God thinks are pretty? What really makes the bride of Christ beautiful in his eyes? Because maybe these things represent something else. In this particular city, there will be no light. No light, because God will be the light of that city. Now, just to add to this, in the day that Babylon the Great falls, part of the description is this, there will no more be a lamp in you. And we'll find out when these letters go to the churches. God, uh, Christ will say this to some of them. You know, I wish, that, I wish that you loved me a little bit here and there. I wish you weren't lukewarm. Or, I have a problem with you. You've left your first love. And very few of them had this, uh, had this warning. I will remove my lampstand if you do not renew your love to me. So, there is a time in which false religion, or those that look like the lamb, but they are not the lamb, and because they are a harlot that will not love and be faithful to their husband, spiritually, that lamp will be removed, and they will continue to be what they are to this day, a very negative influence on this world. <clears throat> then lastly, we see the tree of life. That is the end of the last vision. Now, I have a, a, just one practical application to, to take of this. 
I want you to probably, well, I want you to have, to have noticed, I hope you noticed that there were a lot of repetitions in these visions. Like the trumpets sounded, looked a lot like the bowls, and, and even the seals had their similarities. God has repeated certain things because certain things are important. We need to make sure we understand them. The Lord has emphasized what is important by seeing the very same truth, perhaps seen from a different direction or a different angle or from a different perspective. Now, when I was a young guy, I can remember I was about, um, I don't know, about eight or nine, and somebody sold my, my family a set of encyclopedias. And uh, a part of those set of encyclopedias, they had a smaller set, and in, in one of the volumes, they had... A, you know, a picture of the human body. And on the one page, it was just a printed page, it was just a skeleton, but it had these little cellophane overlays on it. And you would take one cellophane overlay and you put it on it, and lo and behold, oh look, the circulatory system. There's the heart, and here's all the red veins, and here's the blue veins, and so on. Well, that's interesting. And then you take another page, a cellophane page, you put that on. Oh look, the lymphatic system. Now I can see where all these systems go and how they, how they look on the, you know, arranged around the bones. And then another cellophane goes over. Look, well, look how the muscles are striated and placed over top. And then the next one, the skin. And so you see the human body, the same body, the same idea of learning about what we are made of, but different perspectives, different emphasis, different things to see and, and to learn. And this is, to me, a lot like these visions. We're looking at the time of Christ through the time of the end. And in between, we can see different perspectives different emphasis, different things that happen, but it's all the same history. It's all the same things that are designed to encourage the people of God to endure, to be patient. We may be saying, oh, how long is it going to take? And the, you know, the answer is, to some is discouraging. Until the judgment day. But we just follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And I'm telling you, you will have light when the world has darkness. Amen. You will have spiritual health when they have sores. You will not be under all these plagues of spiritual death when the world is being weighed down by the truth because we trumpet the truth every day. I want you to make, take note of when we go through these visions that there are different themes, different things will be repeated. Like, for example... Sometimes numbers can be important. There are three of this and three of that. There are four of those and four of those. There are seven of these and seven of those. There are tens of these or twelves of these. There are even those that have one thousands of these. And sometimes these numbers are more, and shall we say, pointing to whether it talks about the four winds of the world or talks about the triune God or talks about whether uh, there is a complete or all things are included, you know. And so we have to be open to understanding what these pictures mean. Sometimes colors can be used. I've never seen a red horse, you know, you know, or anything like that. But these colors sometimes will give us to help us to distinguish that these creatures may represent something different than the other horse. When you have a white horse or you have a red horse and the rider is looking like this, well then it helps us to see the intended motives. Now I'm not saying we should go hog wild with our imaginations. I don't think we ought to do that, but I do suggest 
that the meaning of these visions should be approached with our own diligence in a humble way, in a patient way. We should be grateful for what God is doing, He's giving us, and we should be lost in wonder and amazement that God is telling us what's going to happen before it happens. And we should be using it for the purpose for which God gave it, and that is to comfort the saints, to give us the patience to endure unto the end. Because every one of those letters sent to the churches says, Blessed is he who endures to the end. And how can we endure? Because God has told us beforehand, before it happens, and that he is the one who is going to reign supreme. The all-wise God gave us this knowledge, knowledge that no one else could ever have known or even imagine, or, or even imagine God will amazingly defeat all his enemies, those who rise up against him, those who dishonor his name, those who rise up against his holiness. We must keep our eyes open and our hearts ready to receive the truth. Look for patterns, look for contrasts, look for images that reflect the biblical doctrines that we already know are true. This book is not going to teach us to throw grace away. No, no, no. It's not going to teach us that God is not all-powerful. No, no, no. We hold true, we hold fast to what we know the epistles teach us and the gospels teach us. We hold that fast. And then we say, now what does that mean in the light of these images and of these visions? What can we do right now that can these things help us? Well, we can see this. Those who follow the Lamb will have their blood spilled. Well, I know that's not encouraging, but you're not to despair. You just need to read on and see what else happens. Do not despair. We can see that there are going to be great and powerful beasts that will rise up and devour and destroy. But do not despair. Just read on and see what happens. The conclusion is this. When the world or the flesh and the devil wreak havoc in your life. Do not despair. Read about these visions and see what will happen to all those who war against God and his people. I'll, I'm closing with this. If God be for us, who can be against us? This is the purpose of the book. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would open our hearts to understand the greatness of you, the greatness of our God, how he has provided all things and he is going to preserve our souls and we will be able to do great works in your name even though it costs us our life. What a privilege it would be. So Father, we pray, be with your people. Give us courageous hearts. May your spirit make us like Christ May we be brave. May we be called like men of old, people of valor. May we stand and be identified with our God. May we follow the Lamb wherever He goes. May we not bow our heads and take any type of allegiance to the world. Let us not have that upon our forehead. Let us not have that upon our hand. May we have the seal of Christ upon us and may people see the image of the Holy God when they see us and what we say and in what we do and who we are. Help us, follow, Father, to follow your Lamb wherever he goes. We pray this in our Lord's name. Amen.